This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hello and welcome to Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast where we see something new in cinemas or on a streaming service and connect and compare it to older films by the same filmmaker or in the same genre. Sometimes we give a little bit of love to the work of an actor or a screenwriter. My name is Karsten Knox. I'm a film writer and critic. I'm also the host of the Knox Office on CBC Information Morning. My blog is called Flaw on the Iris, and it can be found at halifaxbloggers.ca. And my name is Stephen Cook, and I'm a Halifax freelancer and film enthusiast. And today we are talking on Lensmere Ears about the work of Charlotte Rampling, an incredible actor who's been beguiling us with her gifts as a performer for almost 60 years, which is an unbelievable length of career. And we'll be talking about some of her early stuff, her middling stuff, her later stuff. We'll be talking about lead roles and supporting roles and and, uh, getting into a number of Charlotte Rampling films coming up on this episode. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears, and today we're taking a look at the life and career of uh, of an actor who's been fascinating moviegoers, well, pretty much for as long as I've been on the planet, maybe a little bit longer than that, so certainly since longer the than mid-60s. Both of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not put together, but certainly yes. uh, she uh, she kind of burst onto the scene in, in the swinging 60s in the UK uh, when the, the British new wave of filmmaking was kind of at the, the peak of its powers, and after a couple of plum supporting roles, uh, soon became a star, uh, an international star, uh, and particularly uh, favored by European and uh, art house filmmakers through the 70s, and uh, and, and a very reliable um, uh, person to, to have in a film in, 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 in just the right kind of role that she was uh, suited for. We're, t- we're talking about Charlotte Rampling, if I haven't said her name yet. I had this f- weird feeling that maybe I hadn't <laughs> I think I mentioned it up off the top. You there, did off Steven. the top, but then I came in guns a-blazing, as I want to do, and, and uh, forgot my, my primary purpose here. But we're talking about the films of Charlotte Rampling, who's been a, a, a fixture in movies since since the 60s and uh you know grew up in in england and was uh, was kind of a mo- i guess had, was kind of a model I mean, she had a very uh distinct look in fact there's a documentary about her life and her career called charlotte rampling the look because uh she had it <laughs> at the start of her career and she uh, makes no bones about the fact uh, in the documentary that uh she started appearing in movies because she was very attractive i've never seen the doc where is it Do you know where it's available Stephen? i found it on an australian platform okay um, the beauty of uh having a vpn a virtual private network and i just stumbled upon it i actually was looking for it uh through any number of channels, uh, you know, it came out of I don't know, maybe not a decade ago, but it's it's not that recent. But it's you know, it's it's basically uh, rambling, uh, speaking with, uh, kind of being interviewed by photographers and talking about the various aspects of of uh, how she approaches acting and, and the film choices she's made and and uh, how art has affected her life and how she feels about aging as an actor in in um, in an industry that doesn't always look so kindly on on uh, getting older and and it's, it's, she's very frank and very funny and very forthcoming about her life and how she feels about acting and how she kind of treated it a little disdainfully at the start because she she was she basically fell into it she was mm. you know she's she's she doesn't uh, she has no illusions about the fact how lucky she was just to have the kind of look that directors like Richard Lester who making the knack and um, the film uh, Georgie Girl um, which the knack and how to get it the knack and how to get it where, where she has a, a, a brief role and then a more um, 
a, a larger supporting role in Georgie Girl, where she's uh, uh, Lynn Redgrave's character's uh, best friend, who's who's uh, her roommate, who's you know very attractive and 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 kind of bitchy, and she makes no bones about that, <laughs> and 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 also uh, you know takes advantage of her her kind of upbringing and her her looks and. Um, you know, it's kind of the girl gets away with everything in mm. that film, and 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 then she realized that she had to kind of get away from those parts because that's what people kept slotting her in in for. And she said that she wasn't like that at all. She wasn't. People got this impression of her as being kind of haughty, and um, you know, a, a bit of a sticky beak. When in, in fact, she wasn't like that at all. But she had that look that kind of telegraphed that attitude when yeah. in fact she was very down to earth and had you know had some some real uh some real sad uh, events take place in her life that uh, i think made her very grounded and very um realistic about life and 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 her career and uh and what she wanted out of life well it's those as you mentioned that look those sort of green eyes and her, her mm. distinctive sort of you know raspy voice i think really got a lot of people's attention it certainly has gotten mine over the years and she's someone who's not been afraid of choosing provocative roles and saying a number of provocative things yes <laughs> she's never been boring uh you know and we've spoken about some of her movies here on lens mirror ears i think we might have mentioned zardoz yes where she was in in the <laughs> early 70s with sean connery she was also in the verdict with paul newman and of course imp- very impressive in Woody Allen's Stardust Memories. Uh, and we did a Paul Verhoeven show not too long ago, and she starred in Benedetta, yes. which uh, was a lot of fun to see her in that. Um, and, of course, she was in Denis Villeneuve's Dune and will be in the sequel when it comes out later this year. Um, and, and she was in Angel Heart, which we talked about yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we have uh, touched upon films that she has been in before, and we're going to jump in a whole bunch more of them here. Of course, she's a regular, or was, has been in uh, uh, Francois Ozon pictures, which yes. we'll, we'll talk about at least one of those. Uh, she's acts in English. In the Ozon film, she acts in French occasionally and apparently speaks Italian, too. So, you know, that um, certainly makes her appealing to European directors as well, that she's comfortable in these various languages. Um, we're going to start our episode today with Juniper. It's from 2021. It's now available on Hoopla, the free service that's available through the library system. Uh, and this is Matthew J. Savile's debut film set in New Zealand. Charlotte Rampling plays Ruth, former war photographer who's laid up with a broken leg. She's come to stay with her son, Robert, played by Martin Koskis, in his house in the country. Now, Robert's had to go to London to manage some business, so leaves his teenage son, Sam, played by George Ferrier, to watch over Ruth. Uh, And she's got a nurse, played by Edith Poor, to take care of her many needs. From the start, Sam and Ruth do not get on. He's quite the obnoxious punk in some regards, though still getting over the death of his mother, so that might have something to do with it. Ruth's an alcoholic, and the title of the film comes from her affection for gin. Uh, Naturally, they overcome their initial distaste for one another, and they bond. Uh, In a flash, she's arranged for a party to take place in the house and invited a bunch of his loudish friends over. I would say, you know, Jupiter is pretty sentimental stuff overall. The script isn't what I'd call original. Um, There's a moment early on where it looks like uh, a character intends on committing suicide, which the script I don't think justifies at all or sells before or after. I, I think the problem here is Sam. He never really manifests as a character. He's just thick and good looking and not someone who's easy to care about. And I don't think we really get a sense of his character arc, which I don't think is so much, maybe it's not the performance as much as a directorial kind of error. But um, 
Yeah, and by the last act, I, I wasn't sure if I really liked the film that much. I, with those sentimental notes really started to overly sweeten what was up to then kind of a charming story about this willful woman and her kind of dense grandson. Instead, instead <laughs> it becomes about death and letting go and all that's unsaid and difficult family relationships. And there are some really strange choices on the soundtrack, I thought. But uh, yeah, what, what did you make of it, Stephen? <laughs> well, I, I, you're right about the grandson. He's kind of a, a wet noodle as far as... <laughs> the character goes and uh you know and he's he's kind of sullen and angry in ways that just seem like more contrived than justified over the you know he he you know dislikes his grandmother because his father you know has a has issues with her but he you know so it, it seems odd that he would inherit those same prejudices so willingly uh considering how much he dislikes his father as well so uh, i i think he just has a lot of issues that uh that aren't terribly uh, well thought out. But I guess the story requires that he, you know, have some friction with his grandmother in order for it to be more meaningful when they kind of come to an understanding, as it were. But but I I do think that uh, it's still worth seeing just for Charlotte Rampling's performance and for the character that she portrays, that I think she gives her character a lot more depth than uh, any of the other characters are granted. It is... um, it is by a first-time director, uh, Matthew uh, J. Savile. It's his first feature, and he also wrote it. Um, he's an actor who I'm familiar with from a lot of New Zealand television. Uh, because one of the things I do with my free time is watch a lot of New Zealand television. So I'd seen him on a number of series like The Almighty Johnsons and, and other shows that I'm sure nobody listening is, uh, is familiar with. But um, uh, it's at, at the very least, it's, it's, it's visually interesting. I, I think that uh, you know, for a first feature, it... it uh, hopefully he goes on to bigger and better things, uh, but uh, but for for Charlotte Rampling, I, I find her character had uh, you know I found her sort of gritty and interesting and funny and and you know as we learn more about her life, I found her at least uh, carried me through the film. Uh, even though, as you say, the, the the whole subplot about suicide, I wasn't really sh- like it. It just kind of comes up. It it seems like an, an odd thing that he would uh, contemplate it when. You know, he's he doesn't really seem to have a lot of the things going on in his life that would sort of justify that kind of attitude. But there you go. That's you know, maybe it's just that kind of nebulous um, uh, unknowability of of, of of people who take their own lives and, and not really necessarily knowing all the facts. But uh, I, I did did like Charlotte Rampling's character. She's very uh, kind of brittle and 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 funny i I did like it when she threw things and you know (laughs) throwing throwing stuff at her grand grandson's head and so on and and uh and she's definitely the spark that uh, that keeps this film going i found her completely believable and uh and you know just the the, you know the picture of vodka (laughs) that gets her through the day you know it's 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 uh it's not hard to believe some of the things that uh, she does and says over the course of the film yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the film sets us up to believe that Sam is the protagonist and she is the antagonist, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then as we go along, it's like, oh, no, Sam's just kind of like this this character that, you know, just kind of his arc kind of flatlines about halfway in. And then it's really all about her. And I wished it had been about her from the start. You know, yes. I, I didn't I wasn't yeah, really we're, we're set up with Sam. And then yeah. And then and Charlotte Rampling kind of steamrolls everybody else in the picture. Yeah, that's right. Just because she's just because of the, her charisma and uh, you know her ability to get inside the character in a way that uh, that uh, that George Ferrier isn't with Sam and and Martin uh, Martin Sockus, who's um, 
who plays the father, you know, he's an interesting actor. I've seen him in a lot of stuff, but he just kind of pops in and out of the story and, doesn't, mm. you know, doesn't really have any screen time or, you know, not much of any with uh, Rampling, who plays his mother. And it would have been nice to have some some connection there or a bit more of a uh, of an idea of what the, the connection, the friction was there as well. But um, so we have to see it all through the eyes of the sun and, and it's not necessarily the most compelling uh, relationship. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, there's some business with a horse. Ah, anyway, it all just felt <laughs> yes. felt a little bit contrived. I forgot so. about the horse. Remind me of that. <laughs> anyway, but it's Juniper is what the film is called. Uh, and it's, I still, as I agree with you there, Stephen, it's worth seeing mostly for Rampling and the kind of her grit and intensity that are completely undiminished over time. I, I think, if anything, she's just become more and more of an interesting character, actor, uh, as she's gone along, um, which is as it should be. Um, we should mention as well a film which I think I liked a lot more, hopefully you did too, on Netflix called The Little Stranger. Uh, it's the, I guess, I think the newest film, I don't know if he's had anything since, by Irish auteur Lenny Abramson, whose last two features previous to this were the excellent Frank and the Oscar-winning Room. And this dropped on Netflix back in 2019 with almost no fanfare. Uh, and I guess the film is a hard-to-market period drama that looks like it might be a ghost story, but it isn't really. It's more of a mood piece and a, you know, a class drama. Um, but I don't know. Stephen, do you want to say a few things? What What is The Little Stranger all about? Well, it's uh, you're, you're right. It, it, it's more of a kind of a gothic... Um sort of a, a gothic romance with uh, it's about as much of a ghost story as Wuthering Heights is you know, the, yeah. the, people are definitely haunted and we have a crumbling estate in uh, rural England um, but it's uh, it's shortly after the Second World War uh, it's it's not the the brooding uh, you know early 1800s here it's um, you know but it might as well be because people seem fairly removed from you know, the big city and, and high society and all that. And in fact, there isn't a whole lot of talk of the war, uh, so to speak. But it and for a while there, I wasn't sure what decade it was. I knew it was sort of before the 1950s. But uh, eventually we kind of zone in on the fact that uh, that our main character, uh, Dr. Faraday, played by Domhnall Gleeson, um, uh, visited this crumbling manor when he was a child. Uh, to, for a big party uh, for the local community, for the village, celebrating the end of the First World War. So that, that kind of puts us in our place, and now it's, it's uh, 20 years later. And, and uh, he's, he's always been fascinated with uh, Hundreds Hall is the name of the estate, and it was basically where the, uh, the Ayers family lived. They were kind of you know, the local gentry, as it were. Um, but uh, they, they've fallen on rough times over the years, and their, their fortunes have fallen um, with, the, with the death of the patriarch. And, and uh, then the son, who was supposed to kind of take over the family biz, uh, was injured in the RAF and was horribly scarred. Um, physically and mentally. Yeah, and played by Will Poulter. Yeah, great Will Poulter performance who apparently uh -huh. had to endure hours and hours and hours of prosthetic makeup. He's horribly disfigured by, by burns, I guess, in a, in, a, in a plane crash or plane fire during the Second World War. So uh, that basically leaves uh, the mother, uh, Mrs. Ayers, played by Charlotte Rampling, and uh, Carolyn Ayers, played by Ruth Wilson, have to kind of pick up the pieces. Yeah, she's and, the, um, the the sister or the daughter, I guess. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and Ruth Wilson, uh, most people would probably know her from uh, the TV series like The Affair. 
And uh, Luther. Lufa. She's great on Lufa. Luther. She's great at Lufa, yeah, <laughs> You know, that's, that's where I first saw her, yeah. and, and as a duplicitous uh, kind of love interest there. And uh, and here she's playing a very different character, kind of playing against type, She's, but she's perfect for the role because she's supposed to be attractive and dowdy at the same time, and she's, she somehow pulls it off, you know, we're looking frumpy and cardigans, but but still, you know, glamorous when, when called upon to be so. So uh, they're trying to kind of hold things together uh, financially while selling off bits and pieces of the estate. And uh, Dr. Faraday kind of comes into their life because he has to treat the brother who's who's got some serious issues. Uh, and um, and he's uh, he's kind of fascinated by the uh, by the daughter, by Caroline, and, and uh, you know, soon develops uh, a passion for her. Uh, and But he also has this thing about the house and its heritage and that vill- visit that he paid to it, uh, which we learn more about uh, as the film goes on. And uh, But the thing is, the, the place is kind of haunted. There was, a, there was another sister who uh, died uh, very young, died as a child. Uh, I don't know if they say exactly why. You know, one of those scarlet fever or Spanish flu, one of those things, kind of came along after the, the First World War. And and um, and as as time goes on, there are mysterious happenings in the house. There are strange noises and odd marks uh, left on the walls and in closets, and that eventually sort of seem to spell out her name. And and uh, dark spots appearing on ceilings and mysterious um, mysterious knocking sounds and doors slamming and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's really uh, you know it, it, it's it's not played up to the extent not even like a even a film like the haunting uh, the robert wise uh, version of the haunting of hill house from the early 60s is still a kind of a scarier movie than uh, than the little stranger is it, it's really uh, kind of kept to a low boil as uh, this you know this haunting is just one of a list of irritants to the heirs family that uh, dr faraday is trying to help uh, help them navigate around and uh, and but it's all complicated by the fact that uh, you know he's of a lower social status, even though he's a doctor and he has more going on than anybody in the heirs family does, you know they still have that social status, even though they're broke. They're considered to be you know on a different plane somehow, and uh, and so his attempts to woo Carolyn uh, are really are a mixed bag, as we see throughout the course of the film, and and constantly frustrated by her feelings of uh, propriety and also uh, wanting to just escape the estate and the family altogether. And, and so that's, that's the pull that kind of keeps us going through the film with the, the, the ghost kind of lurking uh, on the, on the fringes of the storyline. Yeah, it is something, isn't it? It's this, you know, he's, he's as a doctor, his character is tortured by shame and the memory of his mother's heavy hand. Yes. While he always just wants, but he's been fascinated by his mother worked at this, yes, that's right. at this house 20 years earlier. And he spent his life fascinated by this family and the world of wealth and status that he can never be part of. Um, so in some ways he's haunting this house and this family um, while there's also this suggestion of the supernatural. But it's really the, the, the subtlety here is the supernatural potency of the id, which you can take or leave, I guess, in this sort of frame of these terminally repressed Brit- Brits. I, I really liked the connection between Gleason and Wilson and their sort of chaste, repressed you know, romance. And that's what kept my interest along with the gorgeous sets and moody cinematography. Yeah. It's a beautiful film. It really, yeah. it's, it's really gorgeous. You know, the, the, the decaying mansion is full of, you know, autumn greens and golds and, and, uh, 
and 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 so is the, you know the, the countryside and so on and it's got it's got this lovely retro charm without kind of shoving it down your throat i guess yeah no i agree um you know and i i do think as you say that sort of emotional wallop that i kept expecting it just sort of simmers but it never quite arrives uh but i still really enjoyed spending time in the film you know and abramson uh is really something as a filmmaker uh and and he's joined by screenwriter lucinda coxon based on a novel by sarah waters it has something special this film and i think people who have time for this kind of gothic romance slash drama um you know in that post-world war ii vibe i think um i think there is a lot here to recommend the film yeah i mean if I, uh, because we're talking about Charlotte Rampling, her, her part is fairly small, although it becomes, you know, in the, maybe in the second half, it becomes um, more important to the, the kind of ramping up of the effects of the house on the psyche of the characters. Uh, I kind of wish maybe she'd had a little bit more to do earlier on in the film, and maybe there's, maybe there was an early cut that uh, that, that was the case, but uh, I guess they opted more to focus on the relationship between Dr. Faraday and, uh, and Caroline. Uh, which is, you know, which which makes sense since that's the main through line. But uh, it would have been nice to have a little bit more of her because all of a sudden she becomes more present in the story uh, sort of midway through. And, and I, fe- I felt like maybe they could have ramped up to that a little bit better. But that's probably one of my only real problems with the film. Um, and, uh, you know, and then when she is called upon to to really, uh, you know, have, have these uh, compiling problems kind of come full bloom for her uh she really pays off uh, in, in dividends with her performance well on today's lens me your ears we're talking about the career of charlotte rampling the uh, uh renowned uh actor british actor and uh we're gonna go back to some of her earlier work now and uh let's talk about the night porter from 1974 this is one i've been wanting to watch for a while it's been on the criterion channel and so what an opportunity um and boy does this one feel like a time capsule (laughs) Um, i mean i appreciate how provocative provocative it seems now in some ways because we just don't see films like this very often these days but i think you know i think it maybe doesn't quite match up to some of the more you know, well-known erotic thrillers of the day. Um, it was directed by Liliana Cavani. It stars Dirk Bogard as Maximilian Theo Aldofer. He's a former Nazi commandant, commandant uh, at a prison camp who sustained sort of a sadomasochistic relationship with one of the prisoners, Lucia, played by um, Charlotte Rampling, of course. Now it's set mostly in Vienna. In 1957, Lucia is married to a famed America, American opera star, if there was such a thing, I guess, <laughs> uh, touring Europe. Uh, Maximilian is now the titular porter at a luxury hotel where Lucia and her husband are staying. And uh, Maximilian is part of a group of former SS officers who are hiding out, desperate to protect their identity in this new Europe. And I got to say, they're slightly ridiculous. This is like John Wick movie where they're part of the high table, <laughs> yes. you know, basically a group of bad men, you know, really desperate to protect their power and control over their lives and and, and setting up these like these these sort of. Uh, Test, you know, they 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 uh, they judge people and and execute them, you know, as the case may be. But they are pretty pathetic. <laughs> which, which <laughs> I did true. like. I think the film underlines the fact that these guys trying to hold on to what they had pre nineteen forty five. 
is is pretty sad and i mean it's kind of you know it's, it's still evil too yes. like, let's, yeah, let's, yeah. Not, let's not let's not mince words here but uh and that uh, trying to retain any of that is 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 just a fool's errand and 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 just kind of sad and and, and also disgusting yes so, oh absolutely and and, and uh Liliana Cavani doesn't make any bones about that in the film either. No. No, well, and the story basically goes that uh, uh, the Rampling's character seems shocked at first to see this man from her past and wants to be away from him right away. And he's busy with his own issues at the hotel. There's gigolos to manage and such. Uh, but then she comes around and arranges to stay as her husband continues on his tour. And we flash back to the way this relationship was back in the bad old days. And his friends are upset that he's getting involved with someone who can identify his real identity. And, you know, this isn't, I don't, it's, 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 a, it's a struggle whether to say that The Night Porter is a good movie. I think it's an interesting movie. It's well shot, definitely creates a mood. I like that, the way it was filmed around, you know, Vienna um, and acted, but it's not a great movie. I think, I think it's memorable for its provocations if you consider the erotic contemporaries like films like, say, Cabaret and Last Night in, Ta- in, in Last Tango in Paris. I think those films, I don't think it can hold a candle to either of those, but it does ask some interesting questions about love and codependency and how we're supposed to feel about, you know, this SS officer, former SS officer who's feeling actual guilt about his past. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, I, I had trouble with it in places, but I'm also glad to have seen it. Yeah, it's it it touches some hot buttons that uh, that are remain the fact that they remain very touchy and very sensitive to this day. I think uh, says a lot about how uh, Cavani tackles the material. She uh, she is clearly anti-fascist. She made a uh, documentary and I think if you watch this on Criterion Channel, it's kind of like like presented as an extra, you know, in uh, accompanying the night porter. she did a documentary on the women of the Italian resistance, the the, the women who actually rose up against Mussolini, and uh, and and the Germans who were, were trying to uh, maintain uh, the uh, the fascist grip on Italy in the waning days of the Second World War. So uh, she's definitely anti-Nazi, uh, but you know, growing up in a country where you know half half or more than half the populace were clearly pro-fascism. Uh, is is gonna leave a scar and uh, i think that's what you kind of wanted to get at i mean some of it it's kind of allegorical it's not necessarily all meant to be taken literally and there were just uh, um, you know in the early 70s there were emotions still running high about events that uh, were only were only a three decades old at that point i mean you know she she was a child during the second world war but she and her father was a was um, an ardent anti-fascist, and and she was kind of exercising some of these demons from her own family history, I think. And mm. uh, the fact that uh, that there were these complicated relationships between people on both sides of the fence was something she wanted to portray. And it was, but it was not something that was terribly well received in a lot of ways. Apparently, uh, uh, in uh, in one of the extras, she talks about how. Um, uh, not, not Janet Maslin. Oh, uh, Pauline Kael uh, just uh, hated the film and mm. and uh, wrote a, a lengthy um, uh, piece uh, objecting to uh, its approach to to uh, reopening these kind of old wounds. But uh, but 
uh, for for Cavani, they they were worth examining and 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 kind of looking at how these kind of uh, attitudes that sparked the Second World War could easily come back um, into play and uh, and you know and we're seeing it now. So so in some aspects, it's it's parts of the film are are kind of timely in a way, uh, and. And I, I feel that uh, you know it was a, it was a kind of a complicated time, and there were certainly um, you know there were there were um, sort of activist brigades you know that were happening in, in Italy at the time too. There's some some political terrorism and so on, and, and she was trying to kind of get under the skin of what was happening and 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 find its roots in in what had happened three decades before, and and uh, it's you know so it's it's kind of a glorious mess in trying to encapsulate all of this stuff, but uh, I I think uh, you know in terms of the, the the look of the film and and the performances by Bogart and um, and Rampling, uh, the, there's a there's a lot to treasure in this film. Yeah, I would say the performances are sharp. I mean, there's uh, there's some pretty awful wig work for Rampling in the <laughs> yes. flashbacks. Yes, yeah, right. um, but she does get a mid movie musical number that she performs topless, and it is a showstopper. I mean, uh, once again, she's just you know she's she's incredibly magnetic on screen. Um, and you know what struck me about the film? I've seen Dirk Bogard in a ton of movies. I'm certainly familiar with him as a star. And it never occurred to me previously that the actor might be gay. Uh, and so then I read up on him and I learned he spent almost his entire professional life in the closet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even after he retired from acting, I think he just didn't want to talk about that. And he, um, you know, apparently had a relationship with his manager and it it was only in this film. I was like, huh, like I, I there was something about him uh, that it occurred to me, I guess that. And so I was, I guess, maybe not surprised to discover that he had been closeted. And uh, I think it's a fascinating thing. Maybe this is an idea for a future episode, Stephen. Well, to, for to sure. See, you know, watch the work of actors who had to be closeted as a result of the times and see how some of those issues sort of worked themselves out in, in the films. Well, I mean, Bogart's an interesting case. I mean, he was kind of Britain's leading matinee idol actor in the 1950s. He was, he was, uh, you know, I mean, I almost said Tab Hunter kind of thing, but, but I mean, certainly a better actor than Tab Hunter ever was. He was, he was a terrific actor uh, and uh, his, his private life, he, he very successfully kept to himself for, for years and years and years. But then he started making films like Victim um, and, and other films with directors like Joseph Losey that kind of hinted at a, darker, more turbulent personality. And uh, I think he uh, kind of uh, flirted with the idea of revealing himself through his roles. And, and he's such a fascinating uh, artist for that reason. And and I, uh, I kind of want to go back and revisit uh, The Damned, the film, the, Lu- the Lucino Visconti film he made with Rampling. Um, that was a previous team up that kind of led to this film, uh, which, which is a fascinating look at this aristocratic family during the Second World War. So it's very similar territory. Uh, it suffers a bit from this kind of bad dubbing. And it was a, you know, an Italian production with an international cast. So, of course, everybody's just post-dubbed. And it's, it's, I found it, a, I, I just wish it wasn't quite so distracting in the version of it that I saw. But, but it, it, it was a beautiful, gorgeous film. Kind of like that cabaret and the Night Porter were all kind of these fascinating pictures of of that period and uh, they all have kind of a similar look and similar kind of international casts and so on and and uh you know and bogart's kind of reserve but also kind of fearlessness uh really uh 
you know, really shines there as well as uh, as in the Night Porter. Well, uh, let's move on. Yeah, um, we we watched uh, something, and we don't have to talk much about it to be honest, because I don't think either of liked it. Which was Foxtrot from yeah. 1976. Yeah, we we can touch on this very briefly. <laughs> it's um it's on Canopy, uh, the, the, the where you can you know borrow and rent films, uh, the free service as well, uh, and it's directed by Arturo Ripstein and. Uh, it's just a it's it's an oddity starring Peter O'Toole, Charlotte Rampling, and Max von Sydow. So I mean, the cast was what attracted to us to it. Yeah. But it's yeah. a it's about these wealthy folks at the dawn of World War II trying to escape from all the madness in Europe, and they find they set themselves up on a desert island where they have all the needs all their needs taken care of, living in an enormous tent on an endless beach. And uh, yeah, having watched I guess recently Triangle of Sadness yes, swept that- away. I thought, about, mind, yeah. I thought about those. Um, this is like a dull shadow of those films. You know, I know that the Swept Away remake was ill-advised, but at least it wasn't boring. This one, unfortunately, despite the stellar cast, I don't think I cared about any of them. Yeah, I, I was kind of shocked to see it on uh, Canopy because it was one of those films that I, I'd heard of and just figured I would never get to see. You know, just one of those international co-productions from the 70s that just sank out of sight and maybe deservedly so and uh, having watched it you know at least it's available on canopy but uh, having watched it i can see why this film sank without a trace uh arturo ripstein uh, i think was mostly a mexican director i think most of the feature films he made in mexico and, and this uh, is made in mexico as well yeah it was yeah. shot shot there and I, th- I think he just managed to get some international uh you know, backers to, to put some money into this film. And, and I, I feel like uh, it's kind of like the night porter. There's something very allegorical going on here. It's, it's, it's trying to say something about the state of world affairs and that you've got this count from Eastern Europe. Then you've got this, his aristocratic British wife. And then this sort of Northern European, I guess, you know, the, Adjutant or aide de camp or whatever, whatever Max von Sydow is, is his right hand man, I guess, um, who becomes, uh, you know, kind of turns against them over the course of the film, uh, and I feel like it's trying to say something about international affairs and and failing miserably. <laughs> it it uh, even even the charm of the of its cast, you know, Peter O'Toole is is kind of comatose throughout the the course of the film, and 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 until he he when he feels his honor is besmirched, he kind of shows a spark of life late in the film but by then it's too little too late and uh you know and you just get tired of seeing it was all shot on the same beach shot on one location pretty much and and uh it's it it just looks kind of cheap and as you say it's pretty dull yeah yeah so let's move on to orca then (laughs) definitely not dull you know 1977 directed by michael anderson and uh it is not a good movie. I mean, it's not dull, but it's not a good movie. It, no. I deservedly called a Jaws ripoff coming two years after the Spielberg film and produced by Schlockmeister Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, it has none of that earlier film suspense. But that says, it said, it does do a few things well. It gives the the you know the orca plenty of motivation for revenge against richard harris who plays uh, nolan an irish fisher who killed the whale's pregnant mate and he, the whale is driven mad by grief and you know uh, perhaps also the heavy-handed frankly terrible orchestral score uh the ki- <laughs> so the killer whale hunts nolan down he takes keenan win first but he wants nolan and he wants bo derrick and anyone who was on that boat including robert carradine incidentally yes um, and so that's what he wants to do. And he's waiting f- 
for this fisher to come out and meet him there out in the, in the waters. Um, and Charlotte Rampling and Will Sampson appear as scientists who warn the fisher about the intelligence of the orca. Rampling provides a lecture to her students early on, which is very helpful to the audience. Yes. Uh, she even gets a voiceover uh, with a lot of other details that help us understand what this uh, this you know mammal is, is, is capable of. I thought Harris is charming and roguish and naturally rampling finds him attractive even though he's grizzled in his late 40s and she's 30 uh and he's got a tragic history where his wife and child were killed by a drunk driver and now he realizes that he is that drunk driver having perpetuated a crime against this animal um yeah orca is it is what it is i mean i thought the middle of the movie was strangely slack nolan decides that he's what he's going to do about the whale but he that whale ends up terrorizing this town called apparently called south south harbor supposedly yeah. in nova scotia though shot in petty harbor newfoundland yeah shot in petty harbor which i was in I, I watched orca the next day i was on a plane to newfoundland flying over petty you can actually see petty harbor because it's it's just 15 minutes south of st john's so i spotted it right away i, I feel like i was seeing the same opening shots that you see in Orca, and or some of the same shots of the the town uh, that I was seeing from the plane, and then I actually went there uh, the day before I flew home because there's a lovely ice cream shop uh, right in, in Petty Harbor. But it's a beautiful, picturesque fishing village just outside. It's like the Peggy's Cove of uh, of St. John's. It's just outside of town, and you drive there and you look at the harbor, and you, there's a nice hiking trail, and and the people are lovely, and you can have a beer at the weird little um, sort of pub slash drinking shed and uh yeah so it was it was very surreal having you know watched the film just a couple of days before to actually be there and see see where the house was the or the fake house they built that the orca manages to collapse into the into the water and you know the the shop that it sets ablaze when it knocks over a lantern <laughs> anyway it's it's uh it, it hasn't changed a whole lot since uh, in the 40 years or so since orca came out but it's it's hard to believe that this film is from the screenwriters of once upon a time in america and chinatown um you know robert town apparently had a pass at the script did he and, yeah <laughs> i didn't know that I, I don't know if it's credited or not but he's he's listed as being one of the contributors and and uh sergio donati um italian screenwriter of note uh i think was one of the main people behind the script and uh it's yeah it, it, it's a mess because it's obviously following in the wake of jaws and and it's it's not like uh it's it's not like uh de Laurentiis ever made any bones about the fact that he was going to rip something off you know a more successful film uh you know for his own purposes but uh but it does have some charm in the location shooting and and harris uh, does go for it. I mean, he he doesn't. Uh, he he's not just picking up a check like Peter O'Toole and Foxtrot. He, he really uh, gives he it commits. his all. Yeah. As the um, you know, the kind of conflicted uh, whaler who who uh, you know realizes he needs to atone for his deeds. Uh, and and uh, but but there's some of the dialogue is is pretty ludicrously over the top. And I mean, Charlotte Rampling uh, at least. Um, you know, manages to keep a level head through the course of the film. I don't think she does anything too embarrassing. It's kind of weird to see Bo Derek uh, as part of the, a fishing crew. Um, interesting casting choice there. Uh, and uh, and the finale, you know, it 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 ends on this kind of they're supposed to go up to Labrador um, for the final confrontation on an ice flow, but apparently they filmed that in Malta on on like a, on a set that was painted to look like an Arctic sea skin yeah. or something like that so so you know and then all it just the finale is so 
uh, implausibly fake that it just kind of destroys what little credibility had built up up to that point. So it's 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 not a great film, but I found it highly entertaining for the most part. And well, I don't know if I was highly entertained, but I wasn't generally well, entertained. Yeah, okay, generally entertained. <laughs> the, 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 you know, just the idea that, I mean, we, we know that uh, that orcas are incredibly intelligent and, you know, there's enough stories, um, more from the West Coast, uh, of, you know, orcas that kind of habituated uh, certain uh, harbors and, and sort of almost became, like, known to the locals and that kind of thing and, and, and became very... Um, you know, a very kind of ritual-like in some of their behavior. So, so it's not too much of a stretch to imagine that one would, uh, you know, be able to follow a certain boat, uh, you know, and, and even a certain captain to a certain degree. So it's it, it it manages to give some credulity to that idea, even if it does kind of lose its thread completely by the end of it. There has been recent news about orcas like attacking boats. Yeah. In I think in, in the Mediterranean somewhere. Yep. Uh, so, you know, this is certainly something this was the time to see this movie, apparently. Um, another weird coincidence, Richard Harris, who was in another movie called Smill of Sense of Snow, where he meets his fate walking on ice flows. So anyway, it's weird that he's in two different movies about 20 years apart where his characters, you know, at the end of the film are walking on the ice like that. Um, anyway, anyway, so uh, we should, how, do we have time? Should we fit in a, a chat about Swimming Pool here? Because I just watched it um, and I thought it was terrific. But uh, but yeah, and a few episodes ago we did uh, erotic thrillers and that could easily have been one of the ones we watched. Well, we, we've, we've, we've come at this film a couple of times, like um, both uh, for our erotic thrillers uh, show, and also uh, we did a show with swimming pools, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because you know, we talked about the swimmer with Burr Lancaster and uh, so yeah, on. Yeah, how come we didn't do this one? I mean, this seems uh, perfect. Uh, it was we just we had too many films. It's right in the title. Um, okay, well, um, <laughs> this is this two is, on the nose. <laughs> this is Ozan, uh, who must be a star director in France. He's so prolific, and he seems to embody all the things I think of when I think about French cinema. You know, the beautiful ingenue, the mysteries, the sex. Uh, and this picture, Charlotte Rampling, is Sarah Morton, an unhappy British crime novelist. She's struggling with her writing. She goes to see her publisher, John, played by Charles Dance. Clearly, their relationship goes beyond just the professional. And he invites her to stay at his villa in France, suggesting that he'll join her there at some point. At first, she loves it down there, the peace and quiet helping her with her writing. Um, and how I, I really enjoyed how deliberate the film is with her and how she gets oriented to this new place. But that piece is shattered by the arrival of John's daughter, Julia, played by Ludivine Seigneur. She's 20, something of a partier, and Sarah is not happy to see her. Rampling plays the uptight nature of her character so well, and Julie has, let's say, a healthy sexual appetite, yes. bringing home... Uh, men on the regular and so sarah starts to use julia as a inspiration for her writing and then they sort of agree to a truce and julie starts to open up to sarah and sarah starts to poke around in her diary the younger woman's diary and from there things get darker and more violent i thought this was a really fun movie it's a terrific character study and i enjoyed how the film kind of you know, it starts again. It's a shifting of protagonist and antagonist at the first, you know, first we're very much on Sarah's side. But as we go along, we start to sympathize more with Julie and or is it Julie or Julia? I keep mixing them up. Anyway, um, you know who I mean. And uh, <laughs> and it's uh, it is uh, it's a striking film. And, and I'm really glad to have caught up with it. Yeah, this film, uh, I saw it when it came out. I mean, usually early 2000s, I think, was it when it 
yeah, 2003, 2003. Yeah. and uh, and was quite struck by it then. It was it was great to revisit and 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 sort of re-experience the kind of mind games it plays on the viewer because there, there are things going on in this film. You, sometimes what you think is happening isn't necessarily happening, or it it, it, it does have some fun twists. And it, it, it's it's the kind of movie that does reward rewatchings because there are things that you might not spot the first time around that, that, that come back. And, and uh, you know, I think o, Ozan is, is kind of a playful filmmaker in a lot of ways. Um, you know, playing with audience expectations and so on. And and uh, he and Rampling clearly have a good rapport. She was in his uh, excellent thriller, Under the Sand, which came out a few years before this. And and so, uh, you know, she's she's quite daring in, in some of the stuff that uh, she does with this director and in, in support of this story. And, and it's uh, it's very welcome. And she's, you know, there, there are some really sort of hilarious and some really breathtaking and really kind of shocking things over the course of this film that uh, that uh, that make it uh, worth repeating and I kind of wish to see we would see more of that kind of thing I guess in in thrillers either domestic or imported and uh, and also we get a nice turn from Charles Dance as well as her her publisher and uh, who potentially she may have a romantic interest in uh, perhaps or had a previous uh, romantic involvement with and and um and there's an interesting uh relationship between the two of them as well he's also the, the father of julie the the character who really gets under uh charlotte rampling's skin over the course of the film and and uh and that's an extra element that that i really appreciated in this film all right that's swimming pool and uh, that's from 2003 and we've got one more segment a couple more movies from uh charlotte rampling to talk about Hi, and welcome back to Lens Me Your Ears for the final segment of our look at the films of Charlotte Rampling, the British-born actor who has uh, has been a real screen presence for uh, for a half decade or half century uh, now, and and uh, continues to be uh, an impressive figure in films, whether she's in the starring role or whether she's in a supporting role. We'll probably see her again next in the uh, second half of uh, the the Dune saga, the on-screen Dune saga, but. Um, but of course, uh, she's she's uh, not fussy about appearing in big budget or small budget films, and uh, roles either uh, above the headline or in a small supporting role. And these uh, next two films are films where she was a, a star or co-star with uh, with uh, interesting leading men in uh, in stories of uh, of women getting older and 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 coping with uh, those changes in life and adapting to. Uh, to what it means to be, you know, over fifty, over sixty, and and uh, still trying to have a romantic life and a, and a, a meaningful life in a community, and uh, we're going to start with I Anna, which is a, a film I didn't really know about uh, prior to uh, picking uh, films for this particular podcast, and uh, and I'm glad I did. It, it's 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 an interesting mystery thriller uh, with, with uh, some older protagonists uh, played by Charlotte Rampling and a detective uh, DCI Bernie Reed played by Gabriel Byrne. And it's also directed by uh, Bernie Southcombe. Barnaby. Uh, Barnaby Southcombe, who is uh, Charlotte Rampling's son, uh, as it turns out. And uh, I think he does a, a pretty good job at uh, portraying this story of a, of a murder that um, this, uh, this uh, I guess, single older mother uh who's a grandmother actually uh in the film as we learn uh his uh, his mysterious death somehow uh has her involvement uh, after uh, a speed dating night for seniors and um and gabriel byrne uh, has to figure out what happened on the night but he also becomes very attracted to um 
to Charlotte Rampley's character. Anna, and, Anna and, Wells. And Anna. Yes. Anna. And uh, and so that that's the conflict in that, uh, you know, he's an experienced veteran um, detective who's having his own marital problems. He's been living in a hotel. He's separated from his wife. Uh, we don't really learn a whole lot about her, but uh, he uh, he becomes quite attracted to Anna and is reluctant to press uh, the idea that she might actually be the culprit they're looking for. Um, uh, there's some other red herrings along the way to kind of muck up the investigation, which is also being co-led by Eddie Marzen, who's also always a surprise to see, a pleasant surprise to see. And here he's another detective inspector, uh, Kevin Franks, who's um, uh, Bernie's uh, superior. So uh, we've, we've got this kind of, it's a fairly conventional mystery, but, but because of the way that it unveils uh, the details about uh, both uh, the death of, uh, of the, the victim, but also, uh, also Anna's uh, own past life, which has uh, some own, uh, some, some other mystery and tragedy uh, kind of woven in. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, again, like kind of a slow boil kind of film, sort of like the little stranger, but, but uh, an interesting character study. Yeah. I like the look of the film a lot. I feel like it has that, it does a good job of conflicting and contrasting the uh, characters sort of this middle-aged loneliness in the hard hard-edged unforgiving city uh, yeah. great use of location in the Barbican which is the London brutalist housing development which uh, is, I, they go back there again and again and I thought that looked they made it look really awesome sort of imposing but also sort of fascinating a place with lots of corners and dark areas um, yeah it's kind of a London we don't necessarily see in movies but that if you're a Londoner, you're probably very familiar with. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I, I thought it was a great, there's a single scene cameo from Honor Blackman that I thought was really <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, I think this is, it's kind of a little bit of a curiosity. I don't know that I understood the ending entirely. Like there is a, there is, without uh, spoilers, I mean, there is the suggestion that Anna had, a, you know, an t- ulterior motive for for potentially for the murder of this one character. And uh Anyway, I, I don't know that I got all of it, but I really enjoyed the getting there. So, um, so yeah, and I enjoyed the, her connection with Gabriel Byrne. I thought they did, they did a fragility, the two of them, that I thought worked really well. Um, yeah, so that's I, Anna. It's uh, on Canopy if people want to check it out. Uh, the final film on our uh, study, our look back at uh, films that starred uh, or in supporting actor uh, Charlotte Rampling is 45 years from 2016. This one is last but certainly not least. No. Uh, Rampling earned herself an Academy Award nomination for this film and well-deserved. Uh, directed by Andrew Hay, uh, adapting a short story by David Constantine. Um, this is a film that uh, is a lovely and quite sad examination of a long-term relationship. Kate, played by Rampling, and Jeff, played by Tom Courtney. Uh, and uh, they're leading up to an anniversary, their 45th, and they hear that a woman that that he dated uh, and traveled with back in the early 60s, she died in a fall and her body has been found encased in a glacier. And the timing of this discovery combined with the anniversary brings out secrets from Jeff's past. 
the story and the camera really lingers on Kate. This is really about her and her reactions to Jeff and, and his ghosts and her suspicion that he may be hiding more than he's saying. Someone who she has been with and trusted for so long has these secrets that have remained between them. And, and in some ways, though, she's on our, our unreliable narrator because we only know the world of this relationship through her and the objective truth about Jeff and what lives you know, what his life has been like and what's between them, it kind of remains out of reach. Um, there's something really compelling about the stillness of the film. And um, yeah, and also wholly English about it all too. The couple's mannered, restrained communication, the way they struggle to express themselves, to articulate joy. Um, that repression I think is partly cultural, but uh, it's it's just, you know, it's very, re I recognized it. And, and once again, incredible performance by by both of them, but especially Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, I, I'm a sucker for any film where the past comes back to haunt <laughs> the the main characters. I mean, obviously, The Little Stranger is very much about that as well in, in a lot of ways. But but this uh, this this really hit close to home. Uh, I, 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 I felt a lot of uh, what was happening in this film and, uh, you know, really sympathized with Tom Courtney and and Charlotte Rampling and 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 really found it just so utterly believable in the way that their characters kind of dance around uh, the past. And then, and, you know, and finally, finally she kind of has to take matters into her own hands and, you know, address the issues <laughs> that uh, are troubling her husband and, and, and try to get things back on track. And, and uh, it's, it's, it all feels very natural and very real and, and very painful, but, but, you know, you know, very, very rewarding to see these characters kind of work through this this uh, major crisis uh, that, that, of course, couldn't have come at a worse time as they're getting ready for this major uh, anniversary celebration. And and uh, it the emotions all felt incredibly real and and uh, and uh, and painful and shared. So this resonated with you, eh, Stephen? Yeah. Are you saying? Are you going to say that you you know had some secret in your past? Did you push someone off a <laughs> off a mountain cliff? Uh, you know, fifty years ago? <laughs> no, nothing, nothing like that. But but you know, I, I had someone close to me pass away at, at a young age, and and then you know years later, uh, things kind of came back. You know, I, I got some video of her that I hadn't seen in in you know several decades, and it was just very weird. Oh my gosh, here I was being completely <laughs> facetious, and yet you no, actually no, I, said that there was something genuine. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, it was a, a friend of mine who passed away, we were very close, and uh, and then uh, just bang, I just... I, stuff sort of came out of the blue, and, and uh, so, yeah, I guess in, in some ways it, it did uh, kind of strike a, a chord in a, in a personal way that maybe some people you know, hopefully never have to go through. Wow, but, seriously. Yeah. My gosh. Well, I am so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad. I mean, this is what's great about film is that you never know whether or not there'll be something resonate with you in an unexpected way, uh, you know, for better or sometimes maybe for worse. But uh, but yeah, well, 45 years is is a terrific, terrific film. And maybe of all the ones we watched, might be my favorite of, of her of, of Rampling's work um, if anyone hasn't checked it out they should seek it out I think it's on Criterion now isn't it yes yes that's where uh, that's where we caught it and uh, the, I think there's some other extras to go with it too to, to kind of expand on the world of the film and Andrew Hayes uh, work on it <laughs> 
And that's all for this week on Lens Mirrors. Hope you enjoyed this look at the work of Charlotte Rampling. Hopefully it inspires you to seek out some of the films we talked about or just go to her IMDb page and find some interesting titles that will intrigue you. She does not disappoint, even in a film like Foxtrot, which is a complete dud in so many ways. She's still kind of interesting and certainly has the look, as it were, to keep you engaged, uh, at least when she's on screen. But there's lots of great performances, lots of great films from over the past 50 years to check out. My name is Stephen Cook, and uh, you can find me online at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E on Twitter. Yeah, and Lends Me Your Ears is also on Facebook and on Twitter. And I've got a blog called Flaw on the Iris. And if you're looking for me for Karsten Knox, you can find me by that name on Twitter as well. And thanks as always to CKDU for airing us every other Tuesday at 5 o'clock and for the use of the studio to record the show and the Village Soundcast Network for putting the final touches on the show and making us sound so good. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Send feedback to Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.